listeners, and welcome once again to Life Slices. This is actually our very final episode with the name Life Slices. Uh, We'll be switching to a new podcast name next week when you get to hear all about shifting. Ooh, that's the perfect lead-in because today we are talking about leader shifting. Did we just say the word lead and the word shift in the sentence prior to saying Leader shift. <laughs> well, they're good words. <laughs> this is actually a literally a literature uh, edition of Life Slices. And if you've ever been in a leadership position where you feel like you look back on your journey and think you would have made a different choice, or you see an area where maybe early in your career you would have done something one way and now your experience teaches you to do something else, then congratulations, you've made a leader shift. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about uh, today. This was an excellent, excellent book that we read, written by one of our personal mentors and clients, John Maxwell, the number one leadership guru in the world, uh, an incredible speaker, a world-renowned expert on leadership, communication, relationships, and all-around bettering our best and improving. John brings us some of his more personal stories in this book, and honestly, this was a refreshing look into a new writing style. Imagine that. Even at 72, John is still leader-shifting with his style and with his learnings and what he's doing, Uh, and boy, we had a lot of takeaways here, didn't we, Kay? Oh, it was such a wonderful book. I loved that John really leaned into his own personal stories. And, and John is pretty famous for telling other people's stories. <laughs> yes. So I think he did a good job of telling of telling our stories. I mean, uh, like, damn literature, you lit. Like, this mm-hmm. literature was so good. What a fantastic book. Um, be sure to click the link in our bio or head on to our website and check out our book list to download or, or get your copy of Leader Shift. Uh, it is such a fantastic book and something that, um, you know, I think we've both gained a lot from. So we're going to talk today a little bit about the first three leader shifts that John talks about in the book. And it's technically it's chapters two, three, and four, but these are out of the 11 leader shifts, we are going to talk about the first three. And those leader shifts are going from a soloist to a conductor, which I think was from the metaphor standpoint, this is one of the favorite metaphors I've had from a reader in a long time like mm-hmm. so good so going from solace to conductor then it go, going from goals to growth and then going from perks to price so we're going to speak a little bit into each one of these leader shifts today let you know uh, the TLDR what our takeaway was but don't TLDR the rest of this book get it ah. so that you can get uh, the rest of those leader shifts under your belt yes so so worth so starting off with this first leader shift here and, and you're absolutely right Kay the metaphor the imagery for this was so great. You can probably deduce what the message is here when he talks about going from soloist to conductor. You know, Tony Robbins says, uh, you know, this is about shifting from from me to we and the secret of living is giving. And, you know, if you want to go, John says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. And that's the main principle behind this first leader shift. And and John 
talks about realizing through his journey, starting out in his 20s and early on in his career, really focused on himself Mm -hmm. and focused on his performance, his outcomes, his results, his desires, wants, and needs. And they got him fairly far. Uh, But during this time and during his growth, he really had this shift and this realization that by adding value to others, by focusing on others, and by helping others get what they want, uh, that he could become something so much greater than himself. You know, someone, uh, we can all be impressed by a soloist, but a conductor in front of a symphony is something to behold that fills most of us with reverence and awe and beauty. And that's what happens when we can come together and work in concert with others. And that's what the, why the first leadership outlined here is about going from that soloist to conductor. Mm-hmm. You know, someone can be a fantastic soloist, but they can just, you can never compete with the sound of an entire symphony of instruments all working together. I think my favorite quote from this chapter, John said, we want to go from competing with one another to completing one another. So going from competing to completing. Um, you know, we're thinking about how do we focus on completing other people? It's, it's such a big, broad statement. So we're, we've got a few practical tips for you just on, on things that you can do to help complete other people. And these are all directly from uh, the book leadership. So these are three practical tips for you on completing other people. The first one is make an effort to understand other people. Like actually take some time to get to know where other people are coming from. And that some people call this empathy, uh, some people call this good leadership, but the, the best thing that you can do is seek first to understand and then to be understood. The second thing that you can do is give other people the spotlight. Now the spotlight feels so good, you guys. The spotlight feels amazing. It's warm, it's accolade filled, people are looking at you, it's great. The spotlight is fantastic, but you will never ever dim your own candle if you light somebody else's. And so giving other people the spotlight is one of the best things that you can do uh, in helping to complete other people because everyone needs an opportunity to shine. Finally, add values to other people, add value to other people daily, which means giving your gift to other people. Whatever your gift is, whatever your strength is, other people need it. If you hide it underneath the rock and you keep it for yourself, you're not giving God the service, the universe the service that you should because you were given your gifts for a reason. And so when you're, when you, you know, adding value, God, it's such a big concept. Sometimes I hate it when people are like, let's just add value. It's like, well, what what does that mean? How do I, how do I add value? Yeah, it's a trope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, when you're talking about adding value, everyone's version of adding value is going to look different. And so whatever your strength is, whatever that gift is for the world that you have, there is a way to give that to other people in a way that helps complete them and that does not compete with them. So those are three practical tips for you from our first leader shift, uh, which is going from a soloist to a conductor. Now, before we go to the next leader shift, I would love to just, you know, stick on this one for a moment because it's okay if you want to be a soloist. And I think there's there there needs to be space and room to say, if you want to just be that artist and be that person that's out an individual and on your own, it is okay for that. You just want to make sure it's congruent with your dreams, with what you picture for your life, for your goals, for that purpose, for where you're headed, the road that you're going down. If it's not congruent to say, I only want to work by myself because I'm the best and I want to build the biggest business in the world. The 
The biggest business in the world is built on the shoulders of thousands of team members who are actively rowing their oars in the same direction. And so that which makes a good soloist doesn't always necessarily make a good conductor. So thinking into making sure you want to make that shift. And if you do, make it sure it's congruent with the, the vision that you have. And if you don't, be okay with that. But no, you're choosing that soloist path and, and that's that's what you're going to do. Now, it doesn't say started from the bottom, now I'm here. Yeah. It started from the bottom, now we here. Yo. Started mm-hmm. from the bottom, now my whole team's here. That's right. <laughs> it's all of us. It's going from me to we, and that's what the conductor does. And the conductor uh, usually doesn't play an instrument when they're conducting, right? They're, they're up there and they're thinking into the music and the next steps and the cohesion of the team and the placement of the band members. And uh, there's a lot of strategy behind that. And strategy strategy isn't always the easiest thing for people to do. So if you are the soloist, uh, but your vision doesn't match that, either start taking conductor lessons or uh, or lean into being that soloist and and be okay with that and embrace that and perhaps adjust your vision or your goal. Uh, Loving that um, this idea, you know, the phrase that's been resonating for Kay and I recently is that lighting other people's flames doesn't diminish your own. And that's exactly what our conductor position here is all about. It's this leader shift into realizing uh, you can hoard your own flame as long as you want and burn just burn nice and bright, but by lighting someone else's wick, your flame does not diminish. And understanding that the, the fire gets brighter the more we light other people's wicks uh, is really what this leadership is all about. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your fire gets brighter by lighting other people's wicks, but think about it. A, a candle, three candles in a room is going to create more light than one candle in a room. Five candles in a room could probably light a whole house. Uh, so, so thinking about how we can light other people in order to continue uh, lighting up the world. So I think it's time to move on to goals to growth. What do you think, Shai? Yeah, I think so. You know, just one thing that uh, last thought here in um, Soloist to Conductor is John talks about give without keeping score. And I just have to dive into this one because it's a personal quest for myself because I am a scorekeeper. It's something that I do uh, personally and want to work on and, and continue to work on and focus on. But the less we can keep score of others and those around us, uh, honestly, the happier we'll be and the more at peace and the more beauty we can see in the world. You know, the soloist uh, can keep score with themselves and really strive to be to better their best. Uh, but the conductor has to, to keep score of the team and keep score of the room and keep score of the energy. And that's so much more than each individual's slight failing. So just remembering to uh, do your best to not keep score and focus more on that bigger vision and that purpose. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. You know, and, and and that actually is a great segue into goals to growth because when we're thinking of going from a goal to growing, what is a goal? A goal is essentially a way to keep score. It allows you to say, I have achieved blank. You know, and not saying that it's not good to have goals. You got to have markers along the way. But if we're going from a goals to a growth mindset, we talked about this in in a previous podcast. This is where we're going from running a marathon to becoming Mm -hmm. a marathon runner. Mm -hmm. We're talking about how do you go from just hitting a goal to continually growing yourself. You know, John says in this chapter that improving yourself is the first step in improving everything else, which means that in order to get better for your life or in order to improve your life in general, you have to improve you too. So John outlines seven steps from going from goal to growth. Um, 
we won't go into every uh, each step, but Shai and I each have two steps picked out for you that we want to speak into here. And the first one, we're not really going in order, but the first one um, that I'd like to talk about is actually the step of develop greater humility. Now, I was uh, we were at a conference recently, actually, the John Maxwell team, International Maxwell Certification. And while we were at the conference, I was surrounded by just some extremely high level amazing people and have had the privilege of being in this circle for uh you know quite a few years now but but ha it didn't really hit me until this time and when i started looking around at the people who i was associating with i mean past executives from disney and uh people who have built multi-billion dollar organizations and uh you know people who are way further down the path than me and some people who are further down the path who are my same age or younger, it was very humbling. And this was one of the first times I've ever had the experience of being in a room like that and, and coming out of it feeling humbled because normally, what happens for me to feel humbled is that I get humiliated mm -hmm. and I find my humbling through humiliation and, and something happens, uh, you know, I make a mistake or I say something wrong uh, or, you know, I, I'm careless with my words and I get humiliated and it ends up giving me humility. Now, we can either develop humility in ourselves or we can let the universe humiliate us and we will get our humility developed. So think about that a little bit. Are you willing to develop your own humility by actively working at being more humble or are you just gonna sit around and wait for God to come and smack you upside the head and humiliate you and humble you on your behalf? Now, again, that's kind of like that one of those big broad concepts like we painted earlier, like, well, just grow. Like, yeah, what's the value? Add value? Be humble. Be humble. Yeah. All right, we actually have this line in our office that says be humble. So <laughs> that's a, a pretty funny that we would have that up. But, uh, you know, so, so how do you actually be humble? What does that look like? Now, the first thing I think is is right in line with uh, actually what we talked about in, in how you can go from solo to conductor, which is to seek first to understand. Have the self-awareness to understand that you don't know everything. Say it to yourself right now. We'll wait. I don't, don't know, know everything. everything. Oh, it's even hard to say. <laughs> it is hard to say. <laughs> but I have a good idea of everything. <laughs> well, we want to have all the answers, but ideas aren't knowingness. You know, leaders, uh, and, and John, this is a quote right out from the book. It says, leaders who possess humility are, the, are confident yet feel no need to draw attention to themselves. They are comfortable with themselves yet acknowledge that they need to improve. They have self-awareness. They gratefully receive criticism and they they are not threatened when others shine. They are happy for them. So this is about allowing yourself to be, or, or being okay with you being small if it means that somebody else gets to be big. It also means being humble enough to, to take the bow out and, and lean out when it's time for somebody else to lean in. It also means getting comfortable with yourself. Now, uh, I'm reading a neuroscience book right now, so a lot of the stuff I'm thinking of is neuroscience. <laughs> Your synapses are firing yeah. in new ways. <laughs> uh, so when we're thinking about this from a neuroscience uh, perspective, 
people who actually have the uh, the ability to, they feel the feeling of, um, you know, well, I want to be better than somebody and who have the inhibition to bring that back. Uh, it really all comes around this, this uh, concept of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. The more aware you are of you and your habits and your downfalls, the better you are at policing yourself when negative emotions try to step in and take over, especially when it comes to jealousy and envy. So that's one of those things that if you can get self-aware as to where, be humble enough to know what you mm-hmm. suck at so that you can be, you can have your brain work working in the direction of of uh, being cognizant of when those things arrive so that you can better serve other people. Oh my gosh, newsflash, you are not your emotions. And that is often a way we identify, well, I'm depressed today. Well, that turns into I'm depressed this week. Well, I'm depressed. Depression is an emotion and don't don't let that be your identity. You are not your emotions. Your emotions are your body's way of trying to tell you it's unhappy or it needs a change or it needs movement. Uh, it's its its way of communicating with your spirit and with your mind and with your intellect. So you are not your emotions and, and, and I hope that you can find yourself not identifying with them and be humble enough to find that humility to have self-awareness and bring that awareness back around to understand the world is so much bigger than any of us uh, and, and certainly bigger than the skills and knowledge we've possessed so far. Which leads me into one of my favorite of the seven steps here and that's make your love for learning greater than your fear of failure. Such a goodie. It is such a goodie because failing sucks. Yeah, it does. Ah, it hurts. <laughs> It doesn't feel good. You get humiliated. Cost. Yeah, you get shoes. <laughs> shoes. Failure sucks. Failure sucks, man. And and it can often freeze us from wanting to take action, that fear of failure. I'd rather be comfortable than risk getting out there and failing and looking like a gosh darn idiot. Uh, none of us like that, especially those of us who have accomplished a few things, right? Then you start looking like a dummy and you're like, what? who am I? What am I doing? You have a personal crisis. You have a personal life crisis. Yep. <laughs> Those are about 17 a day. <laughs> true, true, true. But I, that's why I love this, this principle so much. Make your love for learning greater than your fear of failure. John says, action reduces fear and increases courage. That realization was a major step toward increasing my love for learning and, decrease, and decreasing my fear of failure. So fail early, fail often, and fail forward. That realization, that small shift in perception of, uh, you know, I love learning more than I hate failing can help take your action, take that action that you need to in those moments of frozen uh, inhibition or unwillingness or indecisiveness, but really embracing that. I love to learn. I love to grow. You know, what's the worst that could happen? I could fail and I could get ridiculed and in six months, no one would even remember and onward and upward with my life, right? Right. So mm-hmm. loving learning more than you are fe- afraid of failing. Uh, I thought this was a really excellent way to go from goals to growth. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the six months in which you're failing don't suck. Yep. And not to say that the failures aren't going to hurt. Yep. But the more that you fail, the less failure hurts. And it doesn't mean failing on the same thing over and over again. That The point is, is that anytime you try something new or anytime that you layer something else on top of what you already know, you're going to fail because, because you, you're trying a 
new approach. If you try a new approach, chances are you haven't tried that approach before, which means you have a percentage chance that you might fail at, which actually leads very well into this second step. And I'll, I'll try and keep this one quick for you all. But he talks about embracing layered learnings. And one of the reasons that I, I'll keep this fast is because I know we talked a lot about this in our Power of Compounding podcast. If you want to go listen to the, the compounding uh, podcast, it's a very unsexy topic, but so important. Um, but, you know, embracing layered learning means that you want to embrace the knowledge you learn from every part of your life, which means that a big portion of that's going to come from the failures that you have or the things that you go, ooh, I don't love that, you know, so so really think into this layered learning. And that also means that that layered learning takes time and it takes intentionality. Now, you get this really cool compounding of interest. The more that you learn and grow, the more that you're going to see yourself shine as far as your leader or your, um, your learning compounding into something amazing. But John says, it takes a lot of growing to do a little showing, which means you have to fall down, you have to work hard, you have to do something in the dark, you have to get up early, you have to stay up late for probably years before you can step out on a stage and say to people, it took me five years to build my business. So it takes time and it takes failure and it takes like hard lessons and tough emotions and personal crises on a daily basis. It takes all that to get that layered learning until you get to a place of compounded consistency where you really, really see the effects of that compounding grow into something you could never have imagined it being before. Mm, well, I can tell you, Kay, that I've seen quite a bit of compounding consistency growth in, in your leadership journey. And the fact that you've been able to be become more uh, humble and find humility without having to get humiliated has been a real, I think, growth step for you. And it's been really, really neat. And I love uh, watching your compounding consistently growing into uh, such a beautiful leader. Quick sister moment. Well, I did it by uh, embracing change and I did it by going from goals to growth. I stopped (laughs) setting goals and I started growing. I did it by uh, finding more people to bring into our symphony. So, you know, Um, all these good old leadership tactics. Shift, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Leadership. (laughs) Leadership. Uh, My final principle before we move into our next chapter and possibly our (laughs) de-wrap is believe in yourself. Now, talk about cliche statements. This is a cliche. believe in yourself. Believe. We're, we're, we're for a, you Naruto fans. Believe it. Yeah, we're a, we're a cat poster in the office right now. <laughs> believe in yourself. And John here says, you must see value in yourself to add value to yourself. The reason I chose this one to highlight is actually not because of the concept believe in yourself, but because of the quote that was included uh, from Benjamin Franklin in this section, which was just so powerful. Benjamin Franklin has said, empty the coins of your purse into your mind and your mind will fill your purse with coins. Oh, I've chosen. Oh, it's such a good quote. This is this is about believe in yourself, aka invest in yourself. And not just money. Don't go I'm not saying come buy our program or purchase some other program or read this book. All of those things are investments and they are things that you should do. But this is really about valuing yourself enough 
to make investments that will make a difference in your life. It looks different for everyone. If you're in the restaurant industry, it's going to restaurant conferences. Uh, If you're in the automotive industry, it's about leaning in and being the best mechanic there is. What is the continual education that you're investing in because you value yourself? We, uh, We have all kinds of things on our calendar and continue to book things that take time, effort, energy, strain on our relationships. It's tough on our kids. It's hard on our husbands. It's certainly strains the bank account, but it's a priority for us because we value our learning and our growth. And we know that the best investment we could ever make is in ourselves and in our own personal growth and journey. So that that one resonated for me so much, uh, not because believe, but really yeah. it's, I think this one is AKA invest in yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about investing where your work is. This is about investing in as you as a human. Now, if the one of the main differences between people who are like successful and, and well poised and all that is that they've had more practice flexing the muscle of inhibition than get out there and learn how to do more of that. That's You're not going to find that at a real estate conference. You're going to find that in investing in personal growth and development. Yes, there's a whole section about it at Barnes & Noble and on Amazon, personal growth. We all know it. It's the Rachel Hollis, it's the Jen Sincero, it's the Tony Robbins, it's the John Maxwell of the world. And that, you know, investing in yourself, you will never regret it. Um, but before we move on to our third chapter here, I think it's time for our Disney drop. This one comes from the man himself, Walt Disney said, leadership shows judgment, wisdom, personal appeal, and proven competence. Mm. Boy, that is a lot for one little word, leadership. And you know what? You find judgment, wisdom, personal appeal, and proven competence through continuously focusing on shifting and growing and evolving. None of those things are stagnant concepts, and leadership certainly is not a stagnant position, at least when you leadership right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Or, or leadership shift. Right. Yeah, leadership. <laughs> Don't just leadership. Leadership <laughs> smart. Or <laughs> smart. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know the, the, the part. All right. So next up, we've got our chapter. Uh, this is chapter four and our third leader mm-hmm. shift. And this is going from perks to price. And ooh, this is a tough one, gang. Ooh. This is a tough one. Because perks to prices is, is uh, you know, kind of a difficult concept. John says, lead not because of what you can receive, but what you can give. And the reason that this is so difficult is because I think a lot of us get into leadership because management comes with higher salaries. Being a leader is one of, you know, it comes with a position. Sometimes it comes with a company car. It comes with benefits. It comes with your own, you know, uh, uh, meal plan or whatever. I don't know what your company offers you, or maybe you're an entrepreneur and you want to be a leader so you can lead a team or have your own schedule or make your own decisions. Those are all perks. The corner office, the first class flights, the, you know, special treatment, the VIP access. Uh, Hey, we're just as guilty as any of you who are nodding your head right now. The perks are attractive. Who doesn't love perks? Come on. Yeah, we do. We certainly do. And, And I think most young leaders get into this space imagining the perks and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you if you've been perks focused but if we want to shift 
into a better understanding, a better perspective, and more long-term happiness with our own lives and our own successes, then this shift has to happen early or you're going to find a lot of contentment. Uh, John tells the story here in this chapter about being young and wanting those perks and kind of having this imagining he knew there'd be a price to pay. We all know. We all know there's a dark side to everything, right? There's there's a price that must be paid. Uh, but he had the impression, and maybe you do too, and I certainly have had this as well, that you pay the price once or you pay the price and then once you pay it, it's done and then you're on that perk side forever. And uh, the unfortunate news flash is the price never goes away. In fact, it gets bigger the more successful you are and uh, so do the perks, but the price grows in increase along with those perks um, and incongruence with it. And uh, I thought this chapter was just so good. You know, John says, I confess that during the early years of my leadership, I possessed an excess of hope, but had very little knowledge or expectation for how hard leading would be. As a result, I set myself and those I led up for disappointment. We expected the best, and that's the only thing we prepared ourselves for. When things got hard and didn't go perfectly, we weren't ready for it. When you don't prepare for the worst, the worst wins. It sounds like he set himself and his team up only focusing on the perks without focusing on the price. You know, John says, and I think he probably says it in this book, but I can't remember, but he says that everything worthwhile is uphill. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, if you want to have something that's worthwhile in your life, you have to be ready to pay the price uh, you know and I'm so glad Shai, that you said it just you know the price just keeps getting bigger yeah. it, it's not like you pay this price one time and then all of a sudden you're good and, and I'm sure all you parents out there can probably relate to this because it, it, the price that you have to pay when the baby's young is I have to get up every two hours at night and then the price when they turn into toddlers is like you got to deal with getting up every couple nights in a row and then you also have to deal with a screaming helicopter armed kid every other day of the week mm-hmm. and then as they get older then you have to deal with them being teenagers and having hormones and relationships and issues and like I don't have a teenager I don't know that firsthand but uh but that's uh, that price only gets bigger mm-hmm. or you think about you know if, if you've taken college classes or in your college career you're in those hundred level classes that don't interest you at all but you have to get them because they're the prerequisites to your higher level classes and you think I can't wait for the perk of learning something interesting right getting into those 300 those 400 level classes that's the perk I want to know you know, the the uh, experimental psychology course is incredibly fascinating. I can't wait to learn about that stuff. And when you get into that class, the price of being in that class and getting an A is a heck ton higher than the price of getting the A in the 100 level class. So this is this is true across all kinds of spectrums. You know, the, the perk to, to losing weight uh, is in congruence with the price you're willing to pay in terms of your nutrition discipline and your exercise regimen. So mm-hmm. this perks to price chapter, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on it. It was incredibly impactful for me. Um, and I'll be honest, completely honest, some of this book was a little disheartening for me uh, because I want things to be perks and I want to slay the goals and I want to, you know, have all of the accolades and get the applause and, and all of that. And and often I felt like that's a dirty, dark side of me and that really I'm in this for the team and and I'm, I'm out here saying that I'm, I'm out here, you know, for altruistic reasons and, and to add value and all of those things. But at the end of the day, inside, I still want to hear the encouragement. I want to sit in first class. I want to get that VIP treatment. I want to be recognized as the leader. 
it was so comforting to hear that John has gone through the same journey uh, and to know we can learn from his journey and not have it take 50 years to understand that these leaderships have to happen. I'm really grateful. Mm-hmm. And that we have them outlined in a space mm-hmm. that allow you to understand that, that you know, this can be changed. These behaviors can be changed. Finally, before we leave you guys today, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad, Shai, that you said that you struggle with this as well, because I struggled with a piece of this book too, especially in the form of just, I think, all the things. I mean, there's so you see leaderships that you need to make in your yeah. life, and it's eye opening. Yeah. And thank mm-hmm. goodness there's somebody out there who gives you a roadmap to do it. So, in conclusion, you know, we've talked a lot about consistency and consistency compounding, but this last quote that John said in the book is so incredible. Um, he says that there is no off season for leadership. As long as you're in the game, you need to keep working and keep climbing. There isn't a time where you're just all done, there isn't a time where you get to relax. You have to continue going forward and consistently doing those same things every day. You have to keep shifting. Now, there isn't a point where you say, well, now I've gone from perks to price and I'm willing to pay me a price. It's probably always going to be something that you have to continue leader shifting yourself back to. The only difference is that the better that you get at it, the the easier it will be to continue shifting yourself mm. back to how it should be or the way that you want it to well, be that's versus that the increased way self-awareness portion that you were speaking about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But increased self-awareness is a habit yep. and habits are only created through consistency. So if you guys are with us once again here for Life Slices and, and be expecting our change on our, on our next podcast and we're very excited. You, you'll see it. Don't worry. We're marketers. We'll be shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so we're just so grateful that you guys consistently tune in with us, mm-hmm. uh, that you spend what we would consider your most precious gift, which is your time uh, listening to just two girls talking about their journey. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us today. You know, shift happens. <laughs> and, and we're glad that you joined us for these first three chapters of Leadership. There is so much jam-packed in this book. Please, please, please read it. You will not be disappointed. Uh, or listen to the audiobook. He, John has an incredible voice. Um, there's bonus material that you will love, love, love. Uh, so however you get your hands on this book or your ears on this book, please do. You will not be disappointed. And we so appreciate all of you and can't wait to see you again uh, with here with Kay and Shai. Mm-hmm. We love you. Bye, all. See you soon.